The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, our strength and our salvation. Grant us grace that we may follow Jesus, the author and finisher, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen. All human activity resides in the activity triangle that is bordered on three sides by opportunity, desire, and ability. All human activity resides within the triangle of desire, ability, and opportunity. If on one of the uprights you will write desire, that resides within us. Our desire to accomplish something is one-third of what we need to accomplish that's something. Should we wish to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, inside of us is that desire to fulfill our promises of prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness that we have made in covenant with one another. That desire resides within us. It is a renewable resource and it can be a perishable resource. The ability to do something also resides within us. Sometimes it is a giftedness. During warm-up, I tried to lead the choir in the song, This is the Day that the Lord has Made. And somebody asked, is it written in the hymnal in the number of keys that I let it in, or just one? I have not the ability to sing in a single key throughout a single song. I have the ability to sing many keys, sometimes in the same phrase, in a single verse of a single song. Amen? That resides within me. Would that it were a perishable resource in me that it would perish and I could sing one key throughout one song. But alas, some of our abilities can be learned. And they too both are renewable and perishable. And opportunity abounds Opportunity abounds from the moment we wake each day until the moment we lay our heads to rest on our pillows, on our stones, wherever we are. Opportunity for human activity of all kind abounds. Now let's talk about this triumphal entry. 
Mark's account is the most brief. It provides the fewest details. We might say it is the most uncluttered account of Jesus' triumphal entry with the palms waving in all four accounts, we might wonder about that. As I heard the choir saying, Hosanna, I recalled the last parade that I went to when people on the floats threw things to us. What if as an act of hospitality for people making pilgrimage, the residents welcomed them with palms. In fact, that is the case for pilgrimages. Anyone who's seen the movie The Way about the Camino de Santiago de Compostelo, the pilgrimage across northern Spain, knows that there is an industry of hospitality along the whole way from France to Santiago, Spain. And that as pilgrims are welcomed into Santiago, they are greeted with cheers for the end of that particular part of their life's journey. Scholars tell us this is in fact the case for the entry into Jerusalem for the annual pilgrimage of the Passover feast. That residents of Jerusalem would greet people, people they would see every single year. People with whom they had become friends. People with whom they may even count as extended family. Welcoming them and enjoying their presence for this festal time. And Jesus told the disciples, go get the colt of a donkey Conquerors in that day and time would choose between two animals to ride into a town which they had conquered. A war horse or a donkey. A war horse meaning they intend to inflict their rule with strength and power. A donkey signifying that the battle is over and now is a time for peace. And that this donkey had been unridden indicates that it was acceptable and set aside for religious ceremonial purposes. Now the crowds of people in the other Gospels seem to be greater and larger with more pomp and circumstance, but in Mark's account of this story, it's uncluttered. But Bartimaeus is there. You remember in Jericho on their way to Jerusalem, this blind man sat beside the road crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me. What do you want from me? He asked. Bartimaeus said, I want to see and then it says in the Greek text that Bartimaeus was the first Methodist of all time, even before John Wesley. In the Greek it says, immediately he followed him on the way. And the Greek words for that are metahodos, M-E-T-A-H-O-D-U-S. If you say it quickly enough, it sounds almost like Methodist. 
<laughs> Y'all didn't even have to wait for lunch for that one. Thank you. That's good. Jesus comes into town. He goes to the temple and he looks around and he notes that it is already late. He knows the cross is there. Even though the disciples have heard about it three times, they yet do not know the impact of that proclamation. Jesus could have survived in the deserts outside of Jerusalem where he'd spent 40 days three years previously. And he rode on into Jerusalem. He kept calm in the midst of apparent chaos and he rode on into Jerusalem, knowing that the cross was there, knowing that what would come would be betrayal and accusation and trial and crucifixion. It is a lot to lay on a Sunday morning alone to take that in that though Christ saw the cross immediately before Him, He rode on. And it is not much different than our lives today, in our society today. There is much that is pressed upon us. It, 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 it takes only a brief scan of the news to see that our society is more polarized than ever before. And that the phrase, if you're not for me, you're against me, is taking root in our lives as a society deeper than many other truths we know. within our own denomination, within sometimes our own congregation, there seems to be more that is unknown than known. There seems to be more that is uncertain than certain. We have more questions than we have answers, and we have more problems than we have solutions. And the questions why and what if loom ever present in our lives. I invite you to read with me on our sermon insert Psalm 118, verses 23 and 24. Shall we say this together? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I invite you this week as, as uncertainties and unsolvables loom in your lives, to answer these questions. What is God doing in the world today? What is God doing in our congregation today? What is God doing in my life today? You see, as we gathered for worship this morning, we were bold to pray this prayer. We dare to ask for whatever power we may need to live the best lives 
that may glorify you. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you buckled your seatbelt when you prayed that prayer. I don't know if you had your flight suit on and your crash helmet and parachute on when you prayed that prayer, but I did. God, give me the power I need to glorify your life. <laughs> Wait, what? Miss Janie, did you pick that prayer? You did. Did you have your seatbelt on when you picked that prayer? Yes, you did. Now, Thursday Bible studyers, I have to invite you to shh for a little bit. Because the rest of the congregation is wondering about that glass on the altar. We've been trained as a society to know what to do with that glass that is filled to the midpoint with water. We have a particular question that we ask about this glass. And we have a particular prescription based upon our answer. What's the question? Is it half full or is it half empty? And, and, and what's the prescription? We're either optimists or pessimists. What do you think I would say about this glass? Hmm? I would say I'm thirsty. I'm still a little thirsty. I will tell you that I am neither pessimist nor optimist. I will tell you that as a receptacle, no matter what is in it, it is filled unless a vacuum is applied to it. I know this scientifically. I will tell you that I am a Christian and I thirst. I thirst for God alone. And God is the one who fills this cup with water to quench that thirst. And I tell you that we face a society that is more thirsty than any society that has existed on God's green earth. And we are the ones who are entrusted with the water that Jesus said is a wellspring of life welling up to eternity. So if we go back to our triangle of human activity, we must understand that our desire and our ability are wonderfully impacted and influenced by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit convinces us that even when our desire wanes, to be active in our faith practice, we are active in our faith practice. My brother, Pastor Severio, says, John, I know you don't want to go to the gym. Go to the gym until you like going to the gym. <laughs> 
I still don't like going to the gym, Pastor. But I'm going to the gym not because I lack the desire to go to the gym, but because I desire to be filled with health and life in my body. I, I, you know, I, I, my preference is, 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 well, my preference, honestly, is for the monks on either side of the choir stalls chanting back and forth the psalms seven times a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, but I'm not called to be a monk, so I, I come to worship here. And I love to worship here. But there are weeks that, that yeah, even as a pastor, it wasn't this week, but I do have weeks that the alarm goes off on Sunday morning and it's earlier than I expected to be, even though I'm the one that said it. it, it, it it's sooner that, that two more hours of sleep would have been better but that's what I have and and so I pull myself together and I come down to church to be greeted by the risen Christ and God's people so that I am operating out of my convictions in cooperation with my desire so we do face we do face more that is known than is unknown, more that is uncertain than certain. I invite you, the next time anybody in a presentation asks, is the glass half full or half empty, to raise your hand politely and say, I'm thirsty, may I have a drink, please? And if they say yes, walk up and drink it. And hand it back to them and say, thank you. It's still full, and I still believe. And so I fill my activity with words like, I hope. I hope in a God who called forth and creation came into being. I hope in a God who led His Son into Jerusalem to praises that would turn to shouts for crucifixion. I hope in a God who led His Son to the cross and raised Him up from the grave. And I pray. I pray to a God whose hope is limitless, whose power is limitless, whose call upon God's people is faithful to provide. I pray with the people who know how to pray to Almighty God. And I work. I work for the kingdom with all that I am each and every moment of each and every day. Some days it's at a hundred percent. Some days, <laughs> mercy, it's at two percent. But I work because we hope and we pray and we work. That's who we are not about being pessimistic or optimistic. Will God do it again? <laughs> I know, I know that God will. The question is, will we be a part of it? I'm here to say that God is already doing it in our midst rising and renewing our desire, reestablishing our abilities, and opening our eyes to the opportunities around us 
to reach people in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's ours to step up and step in to the activity that God is already about. I invite you, if you will, to stand and sing number 567. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.lovebeaumont.com.